Welcome to the Roost Podcast. I am your host, Sean Pitcher. Today's guest we have on is Walter Stith. He is a financial advisor and global sports and entertainment director at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management Group. Really excited to bring him on as a guest, especially with the heightened need for financial literacy, financial wellness, especially in the athletic space. With more and more athletes now getting NIL deals, sponsorships at a younger, younger age, I think it's really critical that we start providing and bringing out, bringing out athletes on how to manage their finances and how to set them up for success as they progress throughout their athletic career and then obviously beyond that career. But Walter, welcome. Sean, thanks for having me, man. Great to be a part. Thanks for uh, thinking about me and bringing me on to your podcast. Awesome. Uh, like we start with every single podcast, what I want to do is, can you give the audience what is your roots? So roots, uh, when I think about roots, think about my foundation and kind of where I'm from. Uh, and I am born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a son of this city. Uh, I grew up on the west side and went to Booker T. Washington High School. Um, are you familiar with Booker T. Washington High School? So we had a Booker T. Washington in Florida. That's the only reason I'm aware of them, because we played them at the last uh, organization I was at. Okay. All right. A lot of states have a Booker T. Washington. Yes. Let me tell you about the original I hear about yours. <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is uh, which is a national historic site. Uh, you may have heard of two prominent alumni, Martin Luther King Jr., mm -hmm. civil rights leader, went to, Mar went to uh, Booker T. Washington High School and also Little Baby, the rapper. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and in the mix, you also have myself, Walter Stitt, uh, who would <laughs> Uh, so roots, that's, that's the roots. That's where I'm from born and raised, uh, right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Fantastic. And you know, the, the big question I want to start with is, can you explain to the audience in general terms, what is financial liter literacy? What is financial wellness? What does that mean? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about financial literacy, I think that's a term that is used most often. I think people are starting to transition to, uh, financial wellness being a word that they they use. So let's let's just look at each of those terms individually, and then we'll talk about you know, how it relates to finance. So wellness, right? Wellness is is a term that's used to, uh, I would say, describe the personal well being, right? That is, that encompasses somebody's physical, mental, and emotional health, right? Wellness uh, is something that it goes beyond illness, right? Because if someone is thinking about wellness. They're on the pursuit of optimal health. And so that involves taking proactive steps, right, to maintain a balanced and fulfilled life. So when you think about financial wellness, that is your overall well-being, right? How are your finances? How do you feel about your finances? And how do they affect you on a physical, mental, and emotional state? Financial wellness. Financial literacy, right? Literacy refers to ability to rewrite comprehend information okay it's uh literacy is a fundamental skill that everyone should have unfortunately not everyone does have it but it's a, a fundamental skill that uh, allows individuals to understand gives you the ability to interpret and also to communicate uh what you what you hear so when you think about financial literacy that's the ability to understand interpret and communicate uh, the financial concepts such as budgeting, savings, investing, borrowing, uh, as well as managing debt. Um, and also 
having the, the ability, financial literacy gives one the ability to understand and have knowledge of financial products and services, such as banking, insurance, mortgages, uh, retirement planning, and things of that such. Now, my big question always is, is when people approach you, whether it's an athlete, whether it's just a general population, someone in the general population, um, how how do they look for these types of services or where do they typically get a lot of their financial literacy and wellness from? You know, I can I can look at myself and most of my stuff came from my parents. I wouldn't say my parents were the top lot, top notch, best level financial people in the world, but I think they at least provided me a good foundation and idea of how to set up a checking account, saving your money, prioritizing it obviously towards expenses and then how to use the other amount of your money for pleasures and things that you enjoy, but where do you feel people are learning this skill or it, are they not learning this skill? Cause it's not present and available. You know, I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts at home, right? So, um, you know, if you are a young kid, you know, ask your parents for financial advice, or if you're a parent and you're looking for financial advice, just use the internet thing. Now with the internet, with social media, um, there are so many different avenues for someone to become financially financially literate, literate uh, as well as to gain financial wellness for their own financial situation. So um, right now we're talking about it on the Roots podcast. So, yeah. you know, there's several podcasts, there's several social media influencers that are, that are educating people on financial literacy and education. Um, you can use uh, LinkedIn, go to financial companies, websites. Uh, Morgan Stanley has a website that puts out lots of financial information. Um, you know, you can search for events locally in your in your state, in your city that are teaching financial literacy and education. So I think the information is readily available. It's one of those things where you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So, mm -hmm. you know you want the information then you seek the information it's out there yeah and then hopefully we just get the opportunity like with a podcast or some of these social platforms we can start getting in front of these yeah. individuals and just like you said making that awareness available and at least mm -hmm. we can hopefully like you said guide them to these options like one of, one of my uh, colleagues that i work with you know he turned me on to earn your leisure which is mm -hmm. on all the different social platforms like that's a, a financial social media space that i look at that um, mm -hmm. or, you know, we started working with a financial advisor, me and my fiance a couple years ago, things that when I was growing up, I never thought were available. I would have never thought of, you know, I just kind of went off of what I learned, but, you know, as you navigate, I'm sure like you can attest you through this, this landscape, right. The more investments, the more ways you can save, the more you can set yourself up for better success, the better you'll be when you're done as being an athlete. But you know, why do you feel at this stage it's important for athletes, especially at a younger age, let's say, I don't know, 14 to 18 or 16 to 20, to start trying to find ways to develop and have these skills early on rather than later? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's important to develop the skills earlier rather, rather than later because the landscape of collegiate and amateur sports has changed. Uh, and, you know, I think the year was 2021, the NCAA and several states came out with a ruling that student athletes in college now have the ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Um, some states allow high school student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And that's the, you know, relatively known as NIL 
right? Not all states allow high school students to do it, but the majority of states allow, I think all states allow college student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. I have done some research on name, image, and likeness laws, and many of the laws state that the universities are required to provide financial literacy and life skills training to the students, to the student athletes, right? It's written in the law, like Georgia law states that you need to have, you need to provide the athletes with that literacy, with the education, as well as the life skills. Mm-hmm. So they handle the amount of money that's coming in. I mean, if you look online in any sports media publication, you can see that student athletes are making upwards of millions of dollars monetizing their name, image, and likeness. Now, keep in mind, I was a former athlete, right? I played two sports professionally. I played professional football in the NFL, also played professional basketball uh, with the ABA in China. As a blue chip athlete, a lot of times growing up, you've never had a job before, right? Your sport is your job. So if your sport is your job, you've never gone into, let's say, local grocery store or a a summer camp to, one, apply for a job. You haven't written a resume. You haven't gone on an interview. You haven't done any of those things. So you've never been an employee of anyone before. But because you are, in essence, the, the what I like to call the CEA, Chief Executive Athlete, of your own name, image, and likeness, right? you are thrust into a position where your first job is a boss. Your first job is an employer because you're hiring people to uh, work on your behalf, to go out and get marketing and endorsement deals. You're hiring someone like myself, hopefully a financial advisor to help you plan for this money that's coming in. You're hiring a CPA, Certified Public Accountant, to help you with your taxes and understanding any tax liabilities that you may have from this income that you receive. You are also maybe hiring an agent, right, in college. And so you're in a position to hire before you've even been hired yourself. So <laughs> with, that, with that comes a learning curve. There's a learning curve that comes along with that. Um, and I think that there are tools in place. There are people like myself that go out and have a passion for, you know, educating student athletes on what's to come and also understanding what to expect and what they should do. And I think that's a terrific start that at least bare minimum, they have to take some level of financial literacy courses or education to be exposed to it. Now, obviously probably the level and the consistency that they need is going to be challenging, right? Like it's like any of us as practitioners, professionals, you know, Mm -hmm being in the environment and providing multiple opportunities to teach that tends to be a little more successful than kind of a one-off. So hopefully that's something they can expand upon. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen, I, I, when I was in Florida, I think like the governor there just recently added or, or wanted high schools to like add financial literacy, like into their course curriculum, which I was like, well, that's a terrific idea. I, again, the younger we can get them exposed to that and, 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 and provide them these skills, right? I think, you know, these middle schools, these high schools, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's financial literacy, mental conditioning, nutrition, you know, these are all life skills, things that you can't stop doing, things that you're going to have to do the entirety of your life. So I think mm-hmm. the more that we can start putting these into positions at these really critical levels where they're going to have a huge impact as the athlete or just them as a person progresses, 
would make a, a a lot bigger difference and really set them up for more success rather than just dumping them into college and and giving them all this fame and glory and money and then just not having any clue how to proceed with that, which is very challenging. Yeah, it can be very challenging, especially given the multitude and the you know the economic demographics that that ranges for student athletes. Like some some student athletes come from environments where their parents may be financially savvy and they may have had jobs before. They may have an account, may already have investments and have an understanding. But for a large majority um, of student athletes, well, I, I can't say a large majority because I don't know the exact number, but there are on the other side of the coin athletes that come from environments where you know, financial planning and financial literacy uh, is not a priority where, you know, they may come from an environment where their parent, you know, may live check to check or they may not have exposure to a financial advisor. Right. So to give them the expectation that, you know, almost is a disservice to them because you have to take into account where they're, you know, where they're starting from, where they come from, what is their initial understanding of financial literacy and also financial wellness. Yeah. I've said this several times on the podcast. Like we, we can't be upset, angry, disappointed in the athlete if they've never been exposed to this in their environment, or they've never had anyone to speak on whatever the specific topic is. Right. Absolutely. You don't know, you don't know. Right. Yep. That's that right. up to you then as a professional, a practitioner to put them in a position where they then have the tools, mm -hmm. right. If they then make the choice to then not utilize those services or opportunities, that's then their choice. But you can, we can at least then say that was exposed and given to them. So then hopefully either mm -hmm. they change their mind or they see the importance of it long-term. But at the end of the day, everyone rows their own ship and you can't row it for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, yesterday we talked about, uh, you know, a keyword I talked about or uh, you brought up was developing your playbook, your financial playbook. So yeah. how does that look or work as we kind of transition through the stages of athletics, whether it's starting with high school, going to college, going to the pros, and then maybe like life after the pros, like how did it, how do you financially adjust from level to level? Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm starting out in high school. If you, especially if you're a student athlete that lives in a state where um, you are allowed to monetize your name, image, and likeness in high school, um, first step is find out your state law. What is the state law on name, image, and likeness? And am I allowed to uh, make money via my the state laws? Educate uh, yourself on the laws and, and know. Um, I think understanding the basic financial products and services, like what is a bank, you know, what is um, you know, what is insurance. Uh, what is a mortgage? What is retirement planning? Those sorts of things are are very critical to, um, you know, student athletes knowing where to put their money, right? Because some people could be from environments where literally their bank is check cashing. That's what they know, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go cash my check, get cash. But as the world and our environment is moving more towards a cash payment system and everything is more digital like you have to you know understand the basics of financial products and services that are offered through banks uh through credit unions knowing what insurance is knowing what a mortgage is knowing what a loan is all those things right and also understanding 
the financial concepts of budgeting, savings, investing, you know, how to borrow money as well as how to manage any debt that you may have. Uh, so I think in, you know, coming out of high school, it's good to seek understanding of terminology and also know where you stand in terms of the laws. Like, can I make money? And if you're allowed to make money, then find a way to do it. You know, as an entrepreneur, um, as an entrepreneur and a business owner whose product and service is yourself and your name, your image, your likeness, um, you know, take a take a good inventory of your social media following. You know, know how many followers you have on each platform. Um, do a study of what your engagement is with your following. And also look at the statistics on the demographic of who's following you. Really important, right? Companies that are looking to work with student athletes, you know, want to understand who's following you and how can I leverage your name and likeness to, you know, grow my brand, right? And if it's a good fit, I think I think a big paycheck is not always a good fit. You know, also you need to kind of write down and understand what your values are. Like what are what are things that are important to you from a value standpoint? Um, and also understand that, um, you know, you, you don't want to just get bought for anything, right? Especially if it's a company that does not represent or has like values or see the world the way that you see it. And that's important, knowing your values. And maybe come up with a mission statement for yourself as a student athlete. I think that's really important because companies have mission statement, have a purpose, set goals. Um, you know, whether your goal could be, I want to make X amount of dollars or I want to have X amount of deals. Or that could be specific to certain companies that you know work in sports and entertainment or hire student athletes. Like make a list. You know, I'm a true believer in you know writing down the goals that you want for yourself. When you write it down, there's a higher chance that you'll be able to achieve those. Uh, and in college, you know, think about your in planning. Think about you know what your major is. Think about the time commitment to one your sport because if you go to school and you're a student athlete, right? Your job. I mean, you, it says student athlete, <laughs> right? student first, athlete second, but many times it's the reverse because of the amount of time that you put mm -hmm. into the sport. Uh, I chose to play college football, uh, played at Western Michigan University, and I uh, also played my last year at North Carolina A&T, so I went to two schools. Um, but I remember being in college, and I remember the challenge of, you know, sitting with an academic advisor, deciding on which classes I could take, which classes I couldn't take because they, they conflicted with, uh, the practice schedule. So, you know, on your way to college, definitely think about what you want to do. But you, you have to have the mindset of thinking about the end at the beginning. So although you're an athlete and yes, everyone has aspirations or at least most athletes have an aspiration to go pro, whether it's pro basketball, baseball, pro football, lacrosse, soccer, you know, everybody wants to go pro. But the real, the reality of that is a very small percentage of, of collegiate athletes end up going pro. Yeah. Small percentage of high school athletes end up playing in college, right? It takes a lot of commitment, dedication, hard work, skill, size, grades, all of those things go into play when, you know, deciding whether or not you can advance to that next level. Um, so think about the end at the beginning. Uh, choosing a major, do some research on what are the jobs that, 
you know, you have to think outside of being an athlete. So when you choose a major, think about what jobs do or what careers do people who have this major typically go into. And there's several websites out there where you can go in and look at average salary for that position and say, okay, if I'm making X dollars doing this, will this salary provide a certain lifestyle that I would like to attain? Um, and I don't think you should choose a career based upon how much money it pays you. I think you really need to find out what your passions are and what your purpose is so you can live a purpose-driven life. And I think if you're working in a career which you're totally fulfilled, uh, then you know the profits will come over time if you're really good at what you do. Yeah, you know, what I always say is, be passionate about it because if you're not, you're going to probably burn out pretty fast. And if you burn out fast and you don't have a plan B, you don't have a plan C, then it's like, all right, do I go back to college again? Do I have to go find a trade or another skill to be able to do something different? And it's, yep. I don't want to say you're then setting yourself back, but you could then be creating continuous wealth and, and continuous going forward with what your goals are. But if you don't find that thing at the very beginning, which not everyone is going to do it a hundred percent, now you got to restart all over again. Now you're going to have more obviously bills from college again. Now you're just putting yourself in more debt. Whereas if you took the time, really figured out and, and what your passion is going to be, is this something I can realistically do over a long period of time that I feel that I can, can do that's going to put you in a better position going forward rather than start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Yep, absolutely. And I liked what you said, kind of almost about like reverse engineering. I think we do a lot of that in athletics where, we're thinking about, okay, here's our season. What's the schedule look like? What's championships and playoffs? And how do we schedule everything back from there? Nothing's going to be 100% perfect, and you're probably going to have to tweak some things along the way just because things have to be flexible and things are going to change. But that's just part of life. But if you at least have a general landscape and a general architecture of what that's going to look like you can at least be able to hopefully game plan for those possible obstacles and situations that come up too absolutely it's so much easier to hit a target that you can see <laughs> yeah and then I, I really liked when you said about the companies you know i think sometimes especially when athletes are young sometimes they're a little bit impulsive you know a company approaches you right and let's say you come from a low economic background like they just we're going to throw X amount of money at you, right? Yeah. Really do your, your research into the company, right? What is your why, like you said? And from that why, is this a company I can see myself and my brand associating with long-term? Is it fitting the goals and things that I want to do for my career, outside of my career, for the quote-unquote business that I want to start? And do those kind of missions or things essentially align? Because mm -hmm. just choosing it for the money and then something doesn't end up working out long term. Well, and, and something happens with the company, that's probably something that you don't want to associate with yourself if it's not going to be in your long term progression and goals. Exactly. Yep. Now, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you were saying, obviously, and we're seeing big time is cash is primarily moving to digital. So from the financial space, are you seeing that's making things easier for athletes or, in, or, or just general population? Um, is it making it harder? Is there anything with like security issues we have to worry about? Like what's the general landscape and how that looks as we start transitioning almost away from money and coins and dollars? I mean, I think that gives you a better opportunity to track it, right? Because before this, when everyone was using cash, when you took out cash and 
let's say you went to the ATM and you took out 500 bucks and you're just like, all right, this is $500 that I'm going to use. You don't have a ledger unless, uh, except with the exception of receipts that come from uh, vendors, you don't have a ledger of where that money went. So with, you know, with using a debit card, with using a credit card, with using some sort of digital transaction, you have a ledger of where your money went. There's a paper trail. You know, you can't just look up and say, hey, I don't know where all my money went. It's like, well, hey, let's pull out. The <laughs> uh, so I think there's, there's, there's pros and cons. Um, we live in a digital age where e-commerce has um, really is, is starting to take over just shopping in brick and mortar stores. But the downside of that is, especially if you are a young student athlete, you don't have to get up and go to the mall to blow all your money. You can literally pull out your phone and order. <laughs> <laughs> you can order whatever you want, right? You can order, you can order food. You can have it all delivered to your doorstep. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if you didn't have that, you at least had to, you know, before you had e-commerce, you at least had to get up, drive to the mall, go in and maybe it's raining or maybe traffic and you just decide that you don't want to go so you end up saving money that day uh now weather and traffic is not a deterring factor from spending money <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it, it's almost kind of sad to think about long term because you're losing a lot of that day-to-day -day interaction and communication yeah. and yeah. most of the communication now is just happening through you know text messages emails obviously we can facetime and we can you know do things like this like zoom calls but just the face-to-face -face interaction, I mean, if we think about when COVID hit, right, we all had to stay home, and then we all were able to see each other again, and just, you know, mm -hmm. the, the excitement and the happiness that brings to be around people, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's scary to think if if some of that is slowly going to start retreating, and we're not going to have that as much anymore, that that's why I'm bringing on someone that's going to talk about communication and, and how we can try to continue to keep that aspect alive, even with how things are advancing. Absolutely. I, I personally am a huge fan uh, of in-person communication. I like Zoom. I like the benefits that come along with, you know, being able to have a virtual call. Uh, but I much prefer to sit down in person with someone. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was funny when you mentioned about how we're moving more into e-commerce, moving more into obviously you pretty much utilizing our phone or our desktops. We can do pretty much everything on there. I can still remember my mother. She had her checkbook. And she'd be writing every subtraction that she would do for every single check when we went to the supermarket or Boscos or anything like that. And I remember I had to like give her a nudge a few years ago. I'm like, you know, you could do all this on the app and you can track everything. You'll see everything that's going in, going out. And like, you don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> like, it's like you now, nowadays, you'd much rather lose your wallet than lose your phone. <laughs> if I lost my wallet, I'd be okay. Right, I'd be good. But if I lost my phone, oh my God, I'd have a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, because even now, right? It's, obviously, you could do everything with a card, but now yeah. it's even just here's my phone, tap it, boom. Tap it. I, I, I paid for it. Or I even met somebody at a conference this year um, that wanted to give me his like business card. And he goes, Oh, hey, check this out. And he just yeah. hovered his phone over my phone and his business card popped up on my phone. Right. And I was, yeah. I was just like, wow, we really don't need any physical things anymore to do anything with. Like everything can literally be done with this one device. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a crazy transition that we've come from. 
So uh, you talked about the high school, you talked about college. Now from from college to the pro setting, how does how does the financial landscape change from there? Is it kind of the same now because athletes are making so much money in college? It's almost like being a pro in college already. And it's just you're doing the same things you are to, to the pros. And then what happens when your career is over with? How do you transition financially there? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, when you become a pro athlete, there's there are several indicators, right, that you're headed that way. There are lists, there are mock drafts, there are ratings and rankings. Uh, and then people start to reach out to you, agents, financial advisors, business managers, this, you know, they'll start to reach out to you. So when you transition into pro, um, you know, you can see it, right? If you look on social media now, you look in the news, you can see we're, we're in NBA free agency. There's, you know, tons of money being spent by teams. And, you know, every every day there's a new headline of a max contract that's being paid. Uh, and, you know, you're not talking about uh, six figure. You're talking nine figure deals, mm-hmm. right? Nine figure deals are becoming the norm. Uh, and so if when you transition into pros, it's just way more money there. And with more money, as Biggie Small said, more money, more problems. <laughs> he knew from the start. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> Biggie Smalls. Eh? How, how many lessons did he learn from um, from just listening to music, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I would say more money, more problems to solve, right? More things to figure out, right? Um, so just, you know, five steps for anyone, professional athlete, collegiate athlete, student athlete, business owner, anything, right? First and foremost, you got to set some goals. You got to know, hey, how much are you saving for retirement? You need to have an emergency fund. How do you manage debt? You know, you may have the goal of wanting to buy a house or to start a business, set some goals. Again, if you know what your target is, you're more than likely to hit it, right? Uh, I'd say the second step would be is to create a budget, right? You know, track your income and your expenses so you know what your cash flow is. Start thinking about how much you want to save, how much you need to invest for your future to be able to produce an income to live that lifestyle, and also what kind of lifestyle you want to live. I always associate lifestyle with a number, Right. And lifestyle is what kind of house do you want to live in? Not just what kind of house do you want to live in, but what neighborhood do you want to live in? What city do you want to live in? Right. Cost of living varies from city to city and state to state, country to country. Right. You can live a real. You can, there's some countries where you would be considered uh, a millionaire if you had a few thousand dollars. <laughs> right. So, you know, take that into consideration. It's like, hey, do I have to live here or could I, or can I go live in a country that's on a beach and, you know, my U.S. dollar uh, will will carry me or will provide for me a lifestyle that is sustainable. Sustainability is key. I'd say uh, the third thing is to, you know, definitely seek professional help. You know, get a financial advisor. Make sure that he's someone who is reputable, who is registered. Right. Um, you know, you can Google that information. If there were a firm, you can look it up. There's the FINRA has broker check where you can check people out, check their LinkedIn, ask for referrals and, um, you know, follow up on those referrals. Uh, but definitely get professional help from a financial advisor uh, or a CPA certified public accountant, maybe talk to an attorney if needed. Um, But, you know, definitely seek professional help. If you get sick and you have an illness, right, you don't try to like self-diagnose it. You break a leg, you're not like, 
going out back to grab some sticks and you know try to patch up yourself. You go <laughs> to the doctor. And you don't care know who this doctor is, but you just know he's a doctor and you know that he can help you either fix your illness or you know fix your broken bones. So you know get professional help. Uh, the third thing I say is make sure that you diversify your assets. You know, and when I say diversify your assets, I don't mean, you know, take the approach. Uh, I think there was an article of a basketball player who had his money in 50 different banks because he was trying to uh, maximize FDIC insurance. Right. Yes, that is one approach, but there are also more um, more efficient ways to do that. And which I think he did learn and learned that, you know, he could consolidate his assets and still have protection. But knowing what cash you have, knowing what, you know, if you have stocks, what companies you own and knowing what, what is a stock? What is a bond? What is an alternative investment? You know, where do I want to invest in real estate and live? A lot of times professional athletes um, live, you know, what I like to consider a very nomadic life, especially if you like undrafted or if you're a free agent or you're going into the NBA, you sign a two-way deal. You could be in Chicago, one month and then in Philadelphia the next month and then you could be in Houston right all in one year through trades through getting cut through getting picked up so you have to be nomadic meaning you know being able to carry a light load right pick up and go to the next city if needed uh diversify your your plan in terms of having a short-term bucket you know a mid-term bucket and a long-term bucket short term is anything I would say that is coming up within six to 12 months, right? Anything midterm will be, you know, one to three years and anything five years beyond will be long-term. Uh, and last but not least, you gotta prepare for what is next. Here's, here's, a, here's a quote that, you know, or, or something that I say to my clients all the time. As a professional athlete, you're gonna have one of two things, right? You're either gonna have a professional career or a professional experience. And here's the difference between two, Sean. If you have a professional career and like, in addition to having a professional career, you have done right and were prudent with your finances and you've made enough money to sustain your lifestyle. When you're done, working is optional, right? Career, prudent with your money, working optional. If you have a professional experience, Working is mandatory. <laughs> so figure out what's next and start to plan on what's next while you're playing. Because while you're playing, uh, being a professional athlete comes with a lot of power, right? I've, I've, I've utilized that power and recognized that power from the day that I got into the NFL. In fact, when I played for the Buffalo Bills, after my rookie year in New York, the NFL has what's called an internship program. And because it's the NFL, and let's let's just look at the NFL in terms of the power that it has as the number one driven media entertainment broadcast of all times. If you look at the number one broadcast every year since they started tracking it, it's the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. hands down, right? So that tells you the power of the NFL. And so when a when a brand like the NFL has that kind of power. Companies want to be associated with that power to be able to help their brand grow. I recognize that as a rookie, I, I majored in finance and commercial law in school and knew that when I was done, I wanted to work on Wall Street in some capacity. 
I went to the NFL and said, hey, I want to get an internship on Wall Street. Two days later, I had an interview with uh, a company in New York. I went on that first interview. Uh, I didn't get the job. Went back to the NFL and say, hey, they didn't hire me. But what I learned from that first interview was exactly what I needed for the next interview. And I went in and the next interview was with Citigroup Smith Barney. And I'll name Citigroup Smith Barney because Morgan Stanley bought Smith Barney in uh, 2009. And it was Morgan Stanley Smith Barney when I first started here uh, a little bit over a decade ago. Now it's just Morgan Stanley. But I, I, in essence, I've been with the same firm since I was a professional athlete. Wow. And when I turned in New York, I worked with a couple of advisors there. One was a, an advisor who was young in the business and growing. And he was, you know, what we call dialing for dollars, right? He was building his network, reaching out to his contacts to build a book of business. The other advisor who I interned with was well-established. She was a, a Forbes top 100 women wealth advisors at the time. And so my exposure to that allowed me to set the goal of, hey, when I'm done, you know, I'm going to be a financial advisor. I'm going to make Forbes and be a Forbes top wealth advisor. And I can say that the past four years, I was acknowledged by Forbes as top next gen wealth advisor um, and very proud of that. Looking forward to, to more accomplishments. But what's most important to me is, you know, seeing my clients understand the position that they're in, having a plan in place, working together to stick to that plan. Right. And also planning for life after football and, you know, seeing them go through that cycle and fulfilling those goals and dreams. That's that's really what gets me out of bed and keeps me coming in to, you know, to do the work that I do. And I think that's fantastic advice. This this is going to be a great episode for whoever listens to it to give them a base, give them an idea and at least the very minimal. Right. Putting your contact information in there into the bio and we can be able to provide them an opportunity if, if this is something they're looking into and they want to get a head start on it, right? We at least now have a, a professional on the podcast that can be able to discuss and talk to individuals like that, or even practitioners that are working with these athletes. How do we get more individuals in financial literacy and financial advising involved so we can make it a better and improved situation for their long-term development? But Absolutely, Sean. Once again, thanks so much for having me on the Roots podcast, right? I uh, really enjoyed this time talking about something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, and man, look forward to coming on again, right? So uh, we can we can make this thing regular if you want, Sean. <laughs> I would love to. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different things we can deep dive into. And we could definitely talk about that offline and try to get another episode going. Absolutely. But appreciate your time. Hope everyone enjoys uh, all my digital links, Walter's contact information, all that will be in the bio. So if you want to contact either of us, you'll be able to reach us in both of those areas. Appreciate it.